Welcome to the Holistic Grace Podcast, a place for the Christian woman to find energy and wellness for her everyday life. And now, here's your host, Giselle Balbino. Hi, and welcome to the Holistic Grace Podcast. In today's episode, I'll be talking about why change is possible in your life and how it all starts with you. Before I begin, I would love to just pause for a moment and have a little heart-to-heart moment with you. I know how easy it is for people to look at someone who is sharing knowledge, tools, or experience on these social outlets, be it Instagram, Facebook, or podcasting, and to see them as some kind of superhuman. I doubt this will ever be the case with you. Um, towards me, but still, I rather set the record straight from the beginning just in case that distorted reality may want to set in your heart. Everything that I'll be sharing with you in this space will always come from something I have either personally struggled with and have now come to the other side of it, something that I am currently in the midst of dealing with in my own life, or something that I have overcome but the same symptom has now manifested its ugly head in another area of my life. This is simply a fact of human living. I don't want you to ever see me as someone who has it all together or someone who has mastered all of the things that I talk about here on this podcast or share on Instagram and Facebook. I'm right there with you, wrestling with my own struggles each and every day. And the beauty of this is that since I am a regular, flawed-filled human just like you, if I am able to overcome a certain challenge in my life, that means you can too. And I trust that my humanness can offer you hope that change is possible for you and that it may inspire you all the more into taking real life-changing actions in your own life. Okay, so now let's go back to today's topic. Have you ever found yourself living from a place where you feel like a victim of life's circumstances? As if life just happened to you and you are totally powerless to change. As if life is just drifting you away and you have no control of its course. I know I have many, many times. And this can manifest itself in many ways. We can feel a victim of a difficult marriage. We can feel a victim of a body that we don't like or that doesn't seem to work as we think it should. We can feel a victim of a job we don't like. We can feel a victim of our cravings and addictions, our dysfunctional relationship with food, sugar, alcohol, prescription drugs, whatever it may be. We can feel a victim of our financial difficulties. We can feel a victim of our difficult children, difficult family member, difficult relationships. You name it, right? There's so many possibilities here. And when we are living in this victim mindset, we feel trapped in these circumstances and powerless to create any changes. Perhaps we have even tried to create changes, but shortly after, things seem to pop right back where it was before, so we simply give up trying. Sometimes, just a thought of trying can become so daunting to us. 
triggering all kinds of negative emotions. So we don't even go there. Choosing to live in this victim mindset can create many problems. And the most debilitating one being the fact that it actually keeps us enslaved to the very circumstances we want freedom from. A victim mindset steals all joy from the object we feel a victim of. We can't enjoy our marriage, our body, our children, whatever the case may be, and it robs us of our creative power to create solutions. So we remain blind and unable of seeing a way out. Because a victim mindset causes us to think fatalistic and catastrophic thoughts. Our marriages become the worst marriage in the world. Our children become the worst children in the world. And our bodies become the worst bodies in the world. And so forth. So we create all of these distorted realities in our minds. And then we actively look to find evidence to prove that we are right about them. All of our energy becomes focused on seeing anything and everything that gives support to our beliefs. And as soon as we see one little evidence, we immediately strengthen that belief system. And if you remember from the previous episodes, you will know that this will only work to strengthen those neural connections and habitual patterns in our lives. So whatever we focus our energy and attention on grows. So if we focus our energy on the fact that we can't control ourselves around food, for example, inevitably the next time that we're around food, we will prove ourselves right and this will feed into a negative loop. So now we just found one more evidence that we really can't control ourselves around food. So next time we're around food again, we have an even stronger neural connection in our brain telling us that we cannot control ourselves around food. So we feel hopeless, helpless, and at the mercy of those desires. We lose trust in ourselves. We lose confidence in our ability to overcome this issue. We feel like a victim at the mercy of these uncontrollable desires. And since our minds just loves to prove ourselves right all the time, right? That's the number one issues in married couples, right? We're always trying to prove ourselves right. So this becomes an ongoing destructive pattern. So how do we override these negative loops? How can we not feel like a victim when we really do feel like a victim and trapped into these circumstances that seem to be totally outside of our control? First and foremost, we need to understand and acknowledge the fact that feeling like a victim is a choice that we ourselves, regardless of being aware of it or not, are making each and every day. Circumstances happen all the time outside of our control. But listen very carefully to this because this is life-changing. Circumstances happen, but we give them meaning. This is so important. A person can come to you and say all kinds of hurtful things to you, but you give meaning to those hurtful things. My children come to me crying all the time, telling me so-and-so said this and that to them that made them upset. And I always ask them, is it true what they said? If it's true, 
then you need to repent and mend things with the person. If it's not true, then why are you so upset? If someone comes to you and tells you that the wall is blue, and you're looking at the wall and you see that it's white, but they keep yelling at you and telling you that it's blue no matter what you say, are you going to be crying your head out because that person said that the wall is blue? Well, the truth is they probably would at this age. But since I'm training them, I tell them, of course you won't. First, you always have to make sure your own eyes are working properly and not playing tricks on you. If you find out that they are, you apologize and mend things right away. But if you checked your eyes and it's working fine and you sought some counsel and they all agree that indeed your eyes are working fine, then you're just going to let that person be, knowing that they either have eyesight issues of their own that they need to deal with or that they have some issue that is causing them to have a distorted view of reality. So why would you waste time trying to convince a person that the wall is white when they clearly are unable to see it? And why would you get so upset at something that you know is simply not true or real? You know the wall is white, so why do you care if someone says it's blue? Does it change anything? Does it make any difference? Does it change the fact that the wall is white? No, not at all. So I always remind them of who gets to define what is true about them or about their life. And of course, it is their creator, God. I always like to remind them that if anyone, doesn't matter who it is, even if it's me or a family member, if anyone says something about them that is not true, that God himself says in his word that is not true, that they must never believe them. I remind them that we must never believe any lies that anyone, no matter who it is, tells us. Only our creator gets to define us, no one else. Circumstances will happen to us. We can't control that, but we do control the meaning we give them. And if we have truth solid like a rock in our minds, we will be able to choose to give the proper meaning to each and every one of these circumstances. And this leads me to the second important step needed in order to not fall into a victim mindset, which is repent. Yes, repent. We need to repent of self-pity. Some weeks ago, our church had the privilege to sit under the preaching of Jim Ayers, a missionary in Malawi that our church supports. And his sermon was one that really struck me. I had never heard before self-pity being described as a manifestation of pride. In the sermon, he describes something that John Piper wrote about pride and how pride can manifest itself as boasting or self-pity. I was totally intrigued. I had never thought of self-pity as a manifestation of pride. But he goes on explaining that boasting is the response of pride to success, while self-pity is the response of pride to suffering. Boasting says, I deserve admiration because I have achieved so much. And self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I have suffered so much. 
Self-pity appears to be so needy, but the need arises from a wounded ego. Wow, isn't that amazing? I mean, I have never ever thought of this before. So the need and self-pity doesn't come from a genuine sense of unworthiness or brokenness before a holy God. It comes from a place of unrecognized worthiness. So the person who boasts thinks he doesn't need the grace of God, and the person who hides in self-pity doesn't think the grace of God is sufficient. God is not their greatest portion. Man is. So they long for the esteem of man. The one thinking that he will get the esteem of man boasts, and the other thinking he won't get the esteem of man hides. Same disease, different symptoms. All of us have it. Wow, when I heard all of this, I was floored. What richness of truth right there. Truth that we all need so much of. Then he went on reminding us that God is the one who lifts man up and it is God who brings man down. That is why we all depend on God's grace all of the time. So how do we get out from the self-pity victim mindset? First, we realize it is a choice that we are actively making by giving the circumstances meaning that places us in a victim position. If the gospel is at the forefront of our thinking, we can't help but reorder our thoughts and not see ourselves as victims anymore, but recipients of God's amazing grace. That alone can change everything. The second thing we do is repent. We need to repent of that choice. We need to acknowledge that a victim mindset is rooted in self-pity, which is a manifestation of pride in our hearts and a sin before our holy God. God hates pride, and pride causes our own destruction. In Proverbs 16.5, God says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. In James 4.6, God says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. In Psalm 10.4, God says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. In Proverbs 16.18, God says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So there, these are only a few among many, many verses in the Bible that talks about pride. And the third thing we must do is take responsibility for the choices that we make. We need to realize that God made us with a personal agency with the capacity to judge circumstances and make decisions that are in alignment with His truth. We are not marionettes of life's circumstances. We have been made in God's image, and we are co-creators with God. We have the ability not only to direct the course of our thoughts, but also of our actions each and every day. We also have the unique ability to create how we are going to feel about the circumstances we face each and every day. 
We cannot control all the circumstances we will face, but we are absolutely in full control of the thoughts we are choosing to think on each day, as well as the choices that we make on how we will act and respond to those circumstances. And we can control whether they are in alignment with God's truth or not. Remember, as believers, we are no longer slaves to our sinful flesh. Every time we sin, it is a conscious choice that we are making. We cannot choose what people do to us, but we can choose what we will feel towards them and towards what they did to us. And that, my friends, changes everything. And now back to that food dilemma, because I know that a lot of us struggle in this area. How can we build trust with ourselves around food when we've had so many negative experiences in the past? First, we need to acknowledge the fact that we have a choice in what meaning we will give to that food around us. We can make it mean that it controls us, that it has more power than we do, which we all know is a lie because food is completely neutral. The problem is not the food at all. The problem is the over-desire that we have for that food. A lot of my coaching in my programs deal with this specific area of over-desire and how to change that so that we can be around any food and not feel controlled by it. Second, we need to repent of the distorted beliefs. We need to repent from that victim mindset that probably is at the root of that over-desire to begin with. What do you think is the number one reason people overeat or crave and then eat certain foods that they later regret? As you probably all know, it is immediate pleasure. That's why most of these foods that we often experience regret after eating are referred to as comfort foods because they offer us that immediate pleasure and comfort when we consume them. And this is obviously also true with drugs and alcohol as well. And here we can see pride manifesting its ugly head once again. We either want to comfort medicate ourselves with these foods because of self-pity. Oh, poor me. I had such a hard day. I deserve this. Or we're anxious, bored, or tired and just want something that will give us an immediate boost of dopamine and that makes us feel good. And of course, there's also those moments when we can be so proud and excited about something that we did that we say to ourselves, I totally deserve to celebrate with this today. And if you add up all the moments that we're either feeling bad, tired, anxious, bored, proud, or excited, that can make up pretty much most of our days, weeks, and months, right? So no wonder this can become such a habituated habit in our lives and so difficult to change. Whatever the source is that is leading us to overindulge in the way that is harming our bodies in the long run, it is something that we need to bring to God in repentance. As believers, we have something that the world does not have. We have the Holy Spirit that can receive our brokenness and can make us whole again. When we rely on God's grace in our lives, on God's holistic grace that cares not only for the eternal state of our souls, but for every aspect of our being, when we rely on our God, We don't need to burn ourselves out trying to create these changes. 
His Spirit transforms our being as we renew our minds daily with His truth. And another important component of this is the fact that if we are finding our comfort and pleasure in Christ, we'll have a lesser need to self-indulge in other areas. But it is important to also know that there is a physiological component to these food addictions that are very real and that unless you tackle it from this angle as well, you will have a very difficult time breaking free from these addictions. But that being said, if you don't address the root cause of the problem, which ultimately is seeking pleasure in something other than the one source that was meant to fill that desire in your life, you can tackle your addiction to food from a physiological perspective and it will just manifest itself in another area of your life. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So our hearts are restless until we rest in Christ. There is no rest for us until we rest in Christ. And here is where I encourage you to take advantage of that every thought captive model I introduced on episode two and three and apply it daily in your life. You can use that model to help you transform any destructive thought patterns you are currently dealing with. This is the type of work that I love to do with my clients when trying to equip them to make lasting changes in their lives so that they can begin to think differently and their desires begin to shift. This is also the type of work that God does in our hearts spiritually. Through the renewing of our minds with the Word of God, our desires begin to shift and we begin to desire and pursue what is good, true, and holy. This is the work I see God doing through Holistic Grace, helping women leave this place of self-pity and victimization and finding freedom from the destructive habits in their lives by cultivating life-giving habits and life-sustaining desires instead. This is my goal and prayer for each one of us. As we continue to press on towards Christ, may He enable us to repent and find freedom from the destructive habits and desires in our own lives so that we may pursue and cultivate life-giving ones instead. Thank you so much for sticking with me until the end of this episode and may the Lord bless you and keep you this coming week.